The first characteristic is a parent who's over-involved and their lives are centered around their children, even into adulthood. This is the type of parent that's like, oh, my kids are my world. You'll see that. Uh, people comment on my post a lot, my kids are my world. And these parents will tend to feel lost, uh, lonely, sad, even hopeless if their children are gone. I call these the Facebook parents. You'll see that when the child is going through fourth, fifth, eighth, tenth grade graduation, mom or, mom or dad lament that they're growing up. They're losing this romantic attachment. It's too close. They are too involved with their child. That's, that's too much love. It's smother love. It's enmeshment. It's not healthy. Okay. The second characteristic um, or another aspect of that first one is the. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed. So you don't have to download the new Bumble now. The, these parents have very few friends and very little support. All right. That's part of why they're so over involved with their child. The second characteristic uh, is parents who know too much about their children's personal relationships, their activities and their problems. And they demand to be included. A prime example of this I saw a couple years ago where a woman had taken her daughter off to college and she spent the first week with her daughter and her Facebook posts were like this long, talking about all the new friends, the frat parties, moving in, like this mother couldn't let go. Her life revolved around her daughter. She was consumed with every aspect of her daughter's life, her friends, everything. She was governing all of it. She couldn't let go. That is severe enmeshment, severely toxic, severely abusive, and that's emotional incest, all right? Characteristic three is sharing too much personal information, and this creates feelings of a health, unhealthy dependence. For example, telling uh, too much information to your child about your current spouse or your ex. This happens a lot in divorce, where a parent turns to their child and laments about how awful the ex was. That is completely inappropriate. That's looking for the child to be your emotional support and confidant. It is not their job. That is way too detailed information for their development. They can't handle it emotionally. It puts them in a position to have to choose a side. It's very abusive to dump that kind of information on a child. I, this can also happen very um, innocently, like happened to me. I will never forget this moment. It is pro might be one of the most, the biggest moments etched into my memory. I was, I remember it specifically. I was six years old. We were walking into Safeway. My mom and I were holding hands, and I can still feel my feet hitting the concrete or hitting the asphalt as we're just leaving the parking lot, about to get on the sidewalk and walk in the door. And my mom holding my hand, and she says, "You know, Kenny, I take you for granted." I had no idea what that meant. I just knew I felt this tremendous weight of responsibility. As I see now, 
and what later became, I became both my parents' emotional confidants. They came to me for everything. And there was my mom. That was the first memory I have of my mom enmeshing with me and creating an emotional incest situation. And I'm going to you know, share even deeper information of how she did that as I go through these. But those are the type of comments where the child now is that primary support for the parent. It's just, oh, you bring me so much joy. I'm just lost without you. That type of hunger and need for a child. Again, it's mischaracterized as loving, tight-knit family. It is not. That is too tight. That is not closeness. It's actually suffoc- it's, it's literally sucking the emotional life out of the child because the parent has so many unmet emotional needs. They are so deprived within them and they don't know it and they'll even deny it. That's the other side. Oh no, that's not true. I just love my child. That's what a lot of people listening to this, they're gonna see themselves and they're gonna go into massive anger and denial. Well, that's the sign right there that this is exactly what they're doing and they don't wanna confront it. They don't want the truth of, oh my gosh, I do adore my child in the right way, but I didn't know that the way I love my child isn't right. It's now crossed over, not because you were a bad person, but because nobody taught you. And so I urge you, when that anger comes up and defensiveness at these things, when you see yourself, don't project that on me. That anger that you feel is actually at the parent who taught you how to do this. That's your unresolved rage for how your needs were never met as a child and you were left abandoned and neglected and that taught you to then do it to your child. That's what your rage is. It's not meant for me. It's meant for the original caregivers that did this to you, all right? Number four, parents' self-worth depends on the child's success or accomplishments and it's there to really fulfill the parents' unrealized dreams. These are the classic... um, Screaming parents at the Little League games. We all know them. They just go ballistic. You know, what are you doing? You're so stupid. Come on, make a play. Or, you know, they're just so wrapped up. Or they'll fight with the coaches or fight with the fans, fight with other parents. If they don't play enough, they go and talk to the coach. This is classic enmeshment. They're over-involved in not allowing their child to live a life. They think it's protection, tight-knit. It's not. It's emotional incest and enmeshment. This is also the college admission scandal. All of those um, wealthy people that did this, their whole self-worth is tied up into whether their child got into Harvard, USC, whatever it was. They did that for themselves. That wasn't for their child. That was for themselves. That situation is so abusive. It's just, and the media really didn't get into how horrifically abusive all of those parents were to their children. It's heartbreaking to me. Also, here's another example. My father would say to me, Kenny, you just, you are the easiest of all the kids. And here's, were you that, told that same thing, that you were the one that was simple and easy to deal with? Well, I'm going to read you something from Dr. Patricia Love's book, The Emotional Incest Syndrome. And a simple comment like that, see, my dad didn't know this, but this is what he was actually doing in that moment. All right. And she's talking about her own journey. So that's how the sentence starts off, but then it gets to the meat of it. 
She says, the revelations continued. With a therapist's help, I realized that my mother's praise and high regard for me was partly an unconscious device to relive, to relieve, to relieve her of the burden of parenting. You never caused me a moment's trouble, my mother had, hold, had always told me again and again. Underneath this benediction was a disguise ultimatum, and this is the ultimatum my dad gave me. Don't have any needs because I'm not willing or able to cope with them. I, so, and just like she's writing here, I did my best to cooperate. I looked around at the little she had to give me, and I made sure I only asked for that. I repressed the rest of my needs and kept the, or kept them to myself. I was the hero child who was asked to come to her own rescue. Later, I discovered that my mother's effusive praise had another purpose, which was to bolster her fragile ego. See, if she kept telling me I was an extraordinary child, and if I managed to meet or exceed her expectations, she could look at me and see that she was a good parent, and therefore a good person, despite her many shortcomings. That's the, parent, the Facebook mom and dad, that's the college admission scandal, that's the parent who just praises their child and spoils the hell out of them, or the parent who says, you're not a bother, you're such a good kid. There's an underlying bind each child is placed in. You better not have needs and wants, because I can't fulfill them. You need to be perfect so that you, I feel okay as your parent. Also, I can parade you around my friends as what a great parent I am. These are the underlying subconscious things at play because our parents in these situations are so broken emotionally and they don't know it because as society, we won't talk about this stuff or teach it. It's not to blame. My dad's not to blame, but he is to be held accountable. And so are your parents and everyone that do, does these things. Characteristic number five, Parents don't encourage a child to follow their own dreams and impose their dreams on them. They pick their activities, their careers, their schools, their friends, partners. That's the college admission scandal. They needed their kids in there. All right. This is also a parent who subtly or directly criticizes a child's independence or plays the martyr. For instance, so say something like... Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Like, you sure you want to do that? You might get hurt. And what would happen if you got hurt? Who would be there to take care of me? Or why do you want to live there? It's so far for, away from me and your dad or me and your mom or so far away from me. This subtle bind that it's your job to take care of them. Or you'll need something more direct. Is you only think of yourself. You're so selfish. Can't you think of anyone else? Or even go ahead. Go out with your friends. I'll be right here. I'll be fine sitting here all alone. That's all enmeshment. Do you hear in that? That's the, the parent. 
requesting, demanding that the child take care of them. That's incestuous. It's not a child's job. Children don't owe us anything. We made the choice to have children. And the enmeshed parent and the incestuous parent thinks that even at old age, the child owes me something. Well, the child never made the, chance, the choice to be born. You, the parent, did. And so many parents have kids, like props, little dolls, that they're going to mold into what they want. They don't realize that's not our job as parents. Our job is to create an emotional environment for them to become what they want, not what we want. Man, I just noticed I have a lot of energy talking about this stuff, talking about the situations in my childhood brought up some of that energy from, you know, being made to take care of my parents. Huh, I guess I have a little more recovery work to do. <laughs> I love learning stuff like that. At any rate, let's move on to number seven. Parents expect their children to still follow the rules, even into adulthood, and they must accept their morals and values. How many secrets do you have from your parents? How many things do you refuse to tell them because you know they won't approve? That's enmeshment. You are sacrificing your own belief system to make sure that your parents are happy. All right? They also might shun the child if they don't do, be, or give the parent what they want. Example would be we have to, well, a perfect example is in my book, Your Journey to Success. I share this email exchange between a daughter and her two parents and how, you know, they're just throwing it in her face that they paid for school, all the things they did. And dad's an alcoholic, and they're just saying, you owe us. It's your job to pay us back. We're old. You owe us for this. Take care of us. Well, no, that you, you're 70, 80 years old. You should have spent your life saving money and taking care of yourself so you could do it. You don't have a kid to you know, be your caretaker. That's not a child's job. That's your job. Like I'm fascinated by these family dynamics where they think as the parents get older, it's the child's job to take care of the parent. No, you're the one who had the child. It's your job as the parent to be there for your child as long as you live. That's the contract you sign, not the other way around. That dynamic is emotional incest. I'm having you as a prop to take care of me. How much more, I mean, it's just incredibly clear how incestuous that is. That's not a close, close tight-knit family. And again, it's not the, I'm not blaming the parents, that's society and the media not pointing these truths out. There's also the incessantly worried, the doomsday parent, you know that one, oh my God, don't, you're going to get hurt. You can't do that. I, I saw this, I talked about this in my book. There was a a young boy, uh, probably six years old, and the, I was in Denver Airport, and they have these trains to take you between terminals. And as it started up, he's all excited, you know. He's like, oh, it's going to move. I'm going to balance myself. And mom freaked. I mean, she freaked out. Just screamed at him and shamed him, told him to grab the rail. What are you thinking? Well, that's mom. Mom was scared. The child was excited. And let's face it, what's the worst thing that can happen on when one of those trains start up? He stumbles a little and falls. He might bruise his knee, might even get a slight rug burn. Like, he's okay. That's just, and what does he get? He learns, ooh, maybe this isn't safe to do. So now in the future, I'm going to try something different so I'm protected. 
But because mom doesn't know how to handle her fear, she placed the responsibility in her child to make sure that she was okay under the guise of I'm being a kind, loving, protective parent. That's not protective parenting. We want our children to make mistakes, simple mistakes at six years old that are not life-threatening, that are simple little bumps and bruises so that they can learn. But a mother or father who is like this can't allow their child to do it because of their own fear. That's not healthy for the child. Now, let's move on to number 10. Number 10 is when a parent spoils or takes care of a child financially. I have a client where this happened to her. It's, it's probably the worst case of child abuse I've ever seen. Um, it's horrific. You know, that this woman came into my office in her late 20s, never really had a job, didn't know how to care for herself. And this is what was so sickening about the incestuous nature of this enmeshment. She could have huge bar bills. I'm talking thousands of dollars. Mom would pay them because she gave her credit cards. She paid for everything. Gave her credit cards. Mom would pay for all of it. No questions asked. Anything that was destructive because mom was an alcoholic. So she needed a daughter who would drink with her. Okay. So anything that was self-destructive. Mom never, never said a word. If she did one simple thing that was self-loving, self-care, like take a yoga class, anything like that, mom would threaten to cut her off. She used the finances to keep her close to her. They'd sit on the phone and drink. Ah, it's just heartbreaking and also incredibly courageous. I have never seen somebody work so hard at recovery who had basically came into my office as an infant, even though she was in her 20s, knew, literally had no ability to care for herself, cook, clean, anything, knew nothing about life. And in a few short years, my God, the progress she's made is beyond comprehension. I've never seen anything like it, what she's done and how far she's come. And she's now working and separating herself. But man, you want to talk about excruciating to cut that level of enmeshment from a parent. Uh, it's, it's truly courageous work what this woman has done. I, I, it's, I lose words. It's just been a joy to watch her. All right, number 11 is parent who reacts, reacts with anger. If an adult child tries to set boundaries of, or limits of any kind, they just freak out. They, that would be a person, you know, listening to this video angry at me, they would go but ballistic hearing about this and going, oh my God, no, this isn't me. Like if, if anyone leaves me really nasty comments, it means I really, they saw themselves if that ends up happening on this video. And so the, this would be me setting boundaries and limits and taking away their food supply, their emotional supply. And they would freak out at any suggestion at that. Um, the number 13 is an opposite sex parent who criticizes your partner or is in competition with them for the, the, the child's love. Um, they basically made you a surrogate spouse. My, uh, this happened to me. My, my mother made me a surrogate spouse. Now, it's not always criticizing. Um, the surrogate spouse dynamic has many things in it. One of them is to criticize and be, you know, always 
down, you know, you see these mothers or fathers who are always putting down the man or the woman, the same sex that they are just, oh, they're an awful person. How'd you marry them? And you're going, what's going on? Well, it's because they've lost their love relationship with you. They had romanticized you. And so they're going to do anything to keep you from feeling closeness to this person. Um, the way my mom did it for me is um, by sexualizing that dynamic. My mom, my mom thought I was hot. My mom would lust after me. I'd walk in the room and she'd be like, "Can God, you know?" And the way, and then when she'd hug me, sometimes she'd push her groin into me. You know, she never touched me. It's called it's what's called um, covert sexual abuse. In other words, it's not overt. She didn't. You know, the typical thing we think of, of having sex with a child, she didn't do that. But the way my mom looked at me, leered at me, or made comments about me, it was indirect. That's covert. And so it leaves you with this sense of, man, my mom loves me, but my mom loves me too much. Like, that's gross. I don't, I don't want my mom to think I'm hot. Like, I want my mom to like me, but don't think I'm hot. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, and you'll see this a lot. This this was one of the creepiest things I ever saw. Was a couple years back in a subway, a high schooler, probably somewhere between fourteen and seventeen, and a father standing there, and they are arm in arm like boyfriend girlfriend, and he has his hand on her rear end and he's patting her and kind of squeezing it, like it was so creepy. It was so sad, and she's head up like they were boyfriend girlfriend. And again, people, oh, we're so close. No, that's, that's severely abusive. Um, that's not healthy at all. <clears throat> Number 14, people who feel each other's emotions. This is the classic empath. Like, that's the new buzzword around, oh, I'm an empath. Well, you know what that means? That means you have absolutely no boundaries. You're severely codependent, and you enmesh with people like that. You have no ability to contain your internal, what's called an internal boundary. And so the second a person walks in the room, their emotions just go right into you. And so you can be happy, but someone negative comes in and you drop. That's a sign of severe enmeshment. And in these parent-child dynamics, that's what'll happen. The parent will walk in in a bad mood. The child's great. Immediately the child drops or vice versa. Like they're constantly transferring emotions and they're constantly changing to become the other one's emotions and usually it's always the child becomes the parent's emotions you know when they get older they may gain a little more power and be able to fluctuate the adults but as child they can come in a great mood mom or dad's down boom they're down and that's what creates the empath i mean people call me an empath yeah i was severely enmeshed with Massive codependence. Yes, part of my gift is I can walk in a room and feel what's going on with people. I've had to learn to stop doing that. That's not healthy. You know, how what what used to happen to me is I would become those emotions. And it still happens at times where I will notice my affect just totally changing to the person I'm with. 
that have lost containment. And, and that's what happens to these empaths. And they think it's a sign of, you know, a gift that they have. Well, no, that's a sign of abuse, that you need a lot of healing from having that done to you as a child because we need a boundary of, yes, empathy is great, but empathy doesn't mean I get sucked in. Empathy means I can experience the motion but stay contained within myself. I don't lose me. And um, the so-called empath loses themselves. And they go, oh, I'm such an empath. I just can't deal. You know, that's their thing of because I'm so empathetic, um, you know, I just get affected. They don't realize what they're saying is, yes, I've gone through severe abuse and I've never healed it. I have no ability to contain myself. It's not a feather in your cap. It's actually very sad because you went through something horrible and no one's told you that you have a lot of healing and recovery in front of you so that you can have true empathy, which is a boundary. Yes, I can experience sadness and pain, but I don't become your sadness and pain. And that's what happens to an empath. It's not a sign of courage. It's a sign of severe trauma that has not been addressed. All right. Number 15, they expect a child to call them daily or frequently, even as adults. Um, drop their plans, uh, or they will totally, in other words, everything has to revolve around the parent. If a parent calls and needs something, it, it gets dealt with. And if you're not doing it, there's something wrong with you. Don't you love me anymore? Then the martyr comes out. I thought you cared. I haven't heard from you in three days. It's been four hours or like my mom. This is an adorable story. I have to tell it. <laughs> when I learned how enmeshed I was and was working on codependence, my mom used to call me. And if I didn't answer, she'd call like 20 times in a row. We'd never leave a message. We'd just call, call, call. Well, I finally learned about boundaries and I called her. When I finally called her several days later because I had to get myself contained. And I said, Mom, I really appreciate how much you love me. And I think it's amazing that you want to speak to me so much, so much that you call me so many times. But I need to share something about me. I've discovered some new things about me. And one of those things is when people call me over and over, it scares me. I feel like somebody wants to suck the life out of me that, that they're calling me for their benefit. And that really scares me. And so because I don't have enough recovery around protecting myself from that, my only defense is to run away. And that's why you haven't heard from me in several days and I haven't returned your call because that's the best I can do right now. And so I wanted to let you know, you're fine. You can call me as many times as you want, whether you leave a message or not. But if you want to hear back from me as quickly as possible, the best way to do that would be to call me and leave one message. And as soon as I'm available and if I'm in the place to do it, I will call you back immediately. That's the fastest way I'll call you back. And I'll call you back when I'm immediately when I'm in that place. So I just wanted to share that with you. Now, do you hear what I did? I never told her what she was doing was wrong. I never said she was a bad parent. I never said she was suffocating me. I said, this is what I do to myself because it's true. I do it to myself. My mom's just calling me. We always make ourselves feel everything. I'm responsible for recovery. I got open and vulnerable about my pain and how I'm trying to recover it. And I shared with her the plan I have to put in place based on the level of recovery that I have in the moment. And I also requested my needs and wants. This, this is what works best for me. But by all means, 
I'm not going to control you and tell you what to do. Do what works for you. But this is just a suggestion, which, you know, if you want to talk to me, you might want to try. That's health. An enmeshed parent would never talk to their child that way. An enmeshed child would never talk to their parent that way. That's what healing from codependence and enmeshment looks like. Well, this is the, most, the sweetest little thing. <laughs> it was like five days later, my mom calls. <laughs> and it went to voicemail. I didn't answer. And I pick up, I go to listen to the voicemail, and it's like, Hi, Kenny. It's your mother. And I'm only going to leave one message, but I'd really like to talk to you. <laughs> I mean, she was still trying to manipulate the hell out of me, but it was adorable. It was the best she could do. My mom had been through severe abuse in her life. She never learned this. She was still in her attempt to be better. She was still doing it, but God, you got to bless her heart. Like that was just, I just broke out laughing. I was like, that's so cute. And then, of course, when I call her, the first thing, my mom's a big martyr. You know, that's how she would suck me. And she goes, did I do good? I only left one message. You know, it was just hysterical. It's always about mom, always about mom, always feeding mom. But see, I can laugh at it because I went and did the work. I made the focus on me. I healed me. And so now I can enjoy my mom's perfect imperfections. And that's the beauty of doing this work. It's not to throw them under the bus. It's so that I, we're in peace. And that's what's sitting in front of you if you decide to learn about all of this. All right? Number 16. A parent makes you the scapegoat and dumps all their anger on you. Or, conversely, they make you the golden child. I went through both of those. My dad, I was the scapegoat for my father and the golden child for my mother. And you're just constantly in limbo. You never know what's up. Number 17. A parent who's neglectful. This, is, this happens a lot in a single parent household. I mean, they have to work, but they're not there. And so they're, because they're not there, that is neglect. That you have, you know, six, eight, 10, 12 year old child basically raising themselves, or they have an addiction. And therefore, the child has to mature well below their age. You see these kids, I, you know, I've, I've been out recently with some families, and they have these eight year olds who act like adults, and they think it's great. Well, no, it's because mom and dad are never around, and the child's had to become an adult. And so the parents are like, oh, we, we, look, we have an eight year old who acts like a 25 year old. No, that's severe abuse. They should be acting like an eight-year-old. That's healthy. They shouldn't be acting like a 25-year-old. But see, again, we're not aware that making a child into a parent or into an adult at a, a young age is abusive. It's not kind and loving. Okay? Number 18, I, I kind of got out of order, was being sexualized. Um, and that's what happened to me, was... The, and, and I see it happen a lot that, you know, there's a, the romanticizing. You'll see that daddy's little girl, mommy's little boy, you know, they go on dates and it's, it's a romantic dynamic and that's not healthy or loving to anyone. So there are what causes, you know, 18, but there are many more. Like I said, I could pick so many, please. If any of this sounds like what you went through or what you might be doing to your own children, this, this is a great book by Dr. Patricia Love, The Emotional Incest Syndrome. Even if you're a parent, I don't care who you are, read this book. It'll, you'll learn so much about yourself and why you might be struggling in your own relationships because you're going to see that these dynamics, even if, you know, I talked about some pretty severe dynamics, but this happens in every parenting dynamic. Every parent does a level of this to their child. 
And so we're all doing aspects of this enmeshment. Nobody's immune from it. It's a scale. Some are more severe, but it's prevalent in everyone's relationship as a parent and in their love relationships with adults. Um, so I just, it's part of the recovery process to gain this knowledge so we can develop new tools, uh, new skills that can become tools so we can nurture ourselves and those closest to us in the way we want to, because that's our heart. Our heart. I believe anyone watching this, their heart is they want to love people as best they can. Well, we haven't been taught how. And the way we've been taught is incorrect. It's abusive, less than kind, all those words. So there you have it.